0: Welcome to the life adventure podcast, where we explore everything related to making digital transformations as a full service development firm. We bring over a decade of experience in taking businesses from concept to product for whatever their software needs. Subscribe to hear more talks and tips on how to transform your business today. Hello, and welcome to the life Adventura podcast. This is your co-host, Alex Mershack, here with Daniel Herzog. Today we're speaking with Dr. McKenna McNeil and Rashad Mohammed, who are learning experience designers at MSU's Michigan State University that is a hub for innovation, learning, and technology. Welcome to the Life of Ventura podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So guys,
2: uh, we've been working together for a few years now on the space of I Teach MSU and you've been working in the space of online education for a while. Certainly the pandemic has created a bigger need for this. Can you guys elaborate a little bit on uh, what you've seen in that space recently?
1: I can tell you at least from um, from my vantage point, which is mostly from a supportive role in getting faculty prepared to teach online and providing um, um, consultations on best practices for um, learning. There's definitely been a shift, a uh, dramatic shift when we uh, when the pandemic hit. Um, I think as an institution, um, our educators value the in-person experience as a preferred mode or a uh, preferred mode of providing instruction, and instantly that wasn't an option. What I've noticed is that um, people have adapted, I feel, by and large to the technology, I think but people are still struggling with how their lives have been um, transformed and their routines have been uprooted. So I hear that from students. I'm I'm actually an advisor on the, in a student group, and um, every student that was in the group, I was participating in the meeting yesterday, and um, they all were struggling with just to the adjustment.
2: Right. Right. They they say the only thing that's constant in life is change, but this was certainly a 180. Um, You know, we talked initially about potentially hybrid classes and then all of a sudden as caseloads continue to increase, most campuses around the country were just, nope, we're gonna go online until we have a little more accurate answers on how to treat this thing going forward.
1: And and it's even been the disruption of the social environment as well, especially here in East Lansing, um, with numbers rising around campus that you know, everyone has been instructed to quarantine in place. So, you know, I, I think everyone is just dealing with the um the transition.
2: And I think like most campuses, you guys are taking this week to week as far as opening up opportunities for in-person learning, or has there been any direction that you've got from the administration on that?
1: not to my knowledge I, I think at this point um everything is online yeah I think,
3: dan, I think dan we're msu is online for for the f- full fall semester okay. um, i don't think there's any um there's any talk about opening up there there are in talks about what spring will look like and that i think is a conversation that's changing probably on a daily basis
2: so what do you guys see as the biggest benefit to moving to this online platform uh, as far as ease of access to, to information and material?
3: Well, I can share from a, from a teaching and learning, um, professional development and growth perspective. Um, there are some commonly cited barriers to engaging in those things for educators on a higher ed campus. Um, they often relate to things like time, um, not intuitive or not user-friendly, um, designed materials or platforms. Um, and then things like lacking disciplinary context. So things that are big, broad in general, but not um, relatable to people in very specific fields. And so um, the hashtag ITGMSU commons, which is a digital space, um, helps faculty and other educators like academic advisors, librarians, um, graduate students, undergraduate learning assistants. Uh, it helps all of those people access resources and curate their own ongoing growth and development on their own time. We're, we're working with Venturit to continue designing it in a way that it is accessible and very um, user friendly. Um, so we're really excited. We had all of those plans prior um, to the COVID pandemic, but um, similarly to the push for um, online learning, um, it has created a push for online learning for uh, professionals as well. So that is um, it's interesting. It's kind of lit a fire under the need for that space. But as Rashad mentioned regarding um, social interactions, there's, uh, there's a huge cognitive load that comes with, I think, managing anxiety around risk um, at this time, just in general. Um, Lots of people are are dealing with setting family boundaries and they're working from home with children and all kinds of things. And so uh, the other benefit of a space like hashtag I teach MSU um, is the sense of community that you might get from like the water cooler conversations in your unit or office space, I teach MSU creates an online space where educators can engage in similar kinds of conversations, personal, professional, et cetera.
2: Right. It's not the same, obviously, as being in person, but it is incredible how Zoom can give you that kind of somewhat normalcy with at least having that video component where you can have these large groups get together and talk and share ideas and I believe, Rashad, you were the one that set up Zoom for the MSU campus and the faculty, correct? Was that one of your- At least
1: Zoom webinar. Um, okay. We had, um, initially we used to use um, Adobe Connect probably about 10 years ago. And, um, and it had, um, the, we were using the, the webinar um, version of it, but when we replaced it, we went to Zoom meeting, which is um, which is great, but it's more of a fluid, it's meant for fluid conversation. So um, I had petitioned to um, get Zoom webinar implemented on campus so that um, for those who wanted to use it for classes that they could have some controls in place where, um, you know, if there's dogs in the background or trains going by, <laughs> like all that isn't disrupting the lecture.
2: Right. So I, I guess one of the big concerns or issues that is going on right now or is being talked about is online versus traditional learning. There's pros and cons on both models, you know, cost, accessibility. Um, going forward, as, as far as getting better content out there, what, what trends do you foresee happening in that space? Do you, I think that more and more people are going to be going online for various reasons. Would you agree with that assessment?
1: Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, I feel like this is the new normal. Um and the more distance we get from the initial shock of it, the more things will be normalized. So, I would anticipate better tools, more um more precise uses for the tools that are available, you know, and and better You know, better um, feature sets that allow people to have more control. Um, One of the things that I think is probably going to be a a big growth area in in learning are tools that that help facilitate lab activities and things like that, maybe a lot more virtual reality um, applications. Um, But those are some of the areas that that it seems that um, people are struggling with the most. How do you replicate? Laboratory environments or things where you have to be hands on.
2: Right, yeah, M- music studies.
1: Oh, um, yeah, that's another one.
2: Right, something like that. So, w- one of the things I'm, I'm curious about or what your thoughts are is trying to assess or determine the, the value of the education. If, if someone takes an online class, how is that, at the end of the day, how is that assessment going to compare to what they got with an in person learning experience? as far as quality of education and quality of information? And certainly, I mean, a lot of the information that they're going to be provided is going to be the same. I guess it's just how are they going to test out to see if it's the same or better?
3: So I'm going to jump in real quick, Rashad, and then I'll turn it over to you. But I would love to share, Dan, that I did half of my Michigan State University master's degree online. This would have been in 2012. Um, So way before we were... Uh, way before COVID and, and this kind of um, narrative around the value of online education. And, and um, I'll say that my preferred learning style is active and hands-on, but the benefits that online learning provided for me um, at that phase of my educational experience was that I could couple my, my formal post-secondary education with um, with a career. So I was learning in classrooms and I was working at the same time and online allowed me the flexibility to do that. And it helped me develop immediate bridges between the things that I was learning and the things that I was doing um, in full-time work. And so that's a really, it's a thing that you can do with face-to-face courses, but it's ch- more challenging because of scheduling, um, where with online there's often um, asynchronous opportunities to do do assignments or engage in discussion forums. And that flexibility um, was invaluable for me as I was navigating what it was like to be in my first kind of professional career job um, and learning new skills and content at the same time. So um, from a firsthand experience of, a, of an online learner, um, there are some really like integral benefits that I think sometimes get overlooked um, based on the time and space where students are engaging in online. And, and with that, I'll, I'll kick it over to Risha.
1: Those are good points. I actually had a similar experience. My master's was entirely online. Um, I, think, um, I think technology is really not the barrier. I mean, instructors need to, they need to um, teach differently and they need to, um, in terms of assessing their students, they need to have authentic assessments—things that really provide real-world application in terms of their mental processes—and um, and those kinds of things will give, I think, a more rich um, indication of learning and also. Um, you know, provide examples for people to demonstrate what they've learned as well, you know. So, um, you're not gonna be able to just get it in the, in the easy ways that we, you know, are used to by just looking at someone's eyes or, you know, seeing someone raise their hand. But I do think online is also provided um, maybe a different space for people who are more introverted to participate in a way where they don't feel um singled out um which for some people i think is more engaging so you know i i think uh instructors really need to embrace this mode because i don't see it going anywhere and then also trust that you know um if they were good teachers they can still be good teachers now in this new paradigm you know so you just have to think through you know, how will you get the, the, the kinds of learning experiences that, that, um, that your content requires? But, you know, um, the technology is no longer a barrier.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think probably the biggest pushback on the college level anyways with online education has been cost. Right. These students are like, I was paying X amount for in-person hands-on education. Now I'm doing everything from my bedroom, but I'm paying the same amount of money. And I think the universities are struggling with that because they realize that this model is going to be used more and more going forward. And they're going to have to really reimagine their business model, right, going forward in that space.
1: Yeah, I definitely think um, most industries have to <laughs> have to shift their thinking in terms of, um what their business model looks like today. Right. right. But yeah, um, MSU has definitely been, um, the model has been focused on the in-person experience. So.
2: Speaking of MSU, as we talked about just briefly is, is you guys work on the platform I teach MSU. Would you like to talk to our audience a little bit about that platform and what your, your goals and plans are with that going forward?
3: Yeah. So, um, So the hashtag Commons, which is at iteach.msu.edu, is our online space dedicated to ongoing educator development conversations. So it's a place where educators, and and you'll, um, it's important to note, Dan, that we say educators, um, and by educators we mean anyone who contributes to the teaching and learning mission of our university, um, anyone who plays an integral role in student success. So that's a much broader, inclusive of faculty, but a much broader definition than historically might've been considered in the um, educator professional development space. Um, And so it's a place for educators, that broad group of people um, to come together in conversation with one another, to share their ideas and expertise, um, ask questions, collaborate and curate their own ongoing development in their educator practice through a variety of different forms of user generated content. So there's lots of cool features on the site. And of course, when this project started, the site was was only one component. We had um, face-to-face and in-person events as well that were a part of kind of the commons initiative, but given the COVID shift to remote and online engagement, uh, our, our website has become the primary focus of our efforts right now. Um, and we've seen a, a really um, massive uptick in both the, um, the opportunities for individuals to engage in the site and people actually taking that opportunity on.
1: I think the site is also just really given a space for people to share their best practices and things they've learned, as you know, because all of us are really learning as we go. So uh, to be able to quickly share, hey, I've been doing this in the classroom and it's been successful. Um, I teach them issues. It gives us a forum for that because, and every day, new information is coming out, new software we're making available, training. So um, you know, the site has really given a space for people to. To share information without any gatekeepers, you know, you don't have to wait for a webmaster to post a new article. You can go online and post it yourself, and post it to people to um, under categories that may that will help other people quickly find it, or create groups among people who have similar desire, whether that be topics or um, or just working together closely, or you know, um, or if you just want to be engaged in some of the new technologies that are coming out on campus, um, IT MSU is giving us a space for that.
0: You're listening to the Life at It podcast. At Venturate, we specialize in producing smart applications using AI, machine learning, blockchain and IOT. You can learn about all our services at Venture.it.com. All right. Back to the show.
2: I was going to circle back uh, something that Rashad mentioned was the the social interaction. And as we examine online education that spans not only the the college uh, student, but also younger students. And it seems like it's more important even for the K through 12 children who are now thrown into this online space to get more Kind of personal attention or social interaction. I'm wondering too, you know, if there's going to be ways in the future, like Rashad mentioned, to have a more robust platform to allow more interaction, you know, ways that we could possibly incorporate artificial intelligence or other visual mediums to try to make it more personal or more interactive going forward.
1: Yeah, I think you probably will see that in terms of, um, you know AI, you know, um, kind of in the background, helping to make the feedback more seamless. Right. I've seen some really cool demonstrations with people integrating using Microsoft Teams and a variety of other tools to kind of to quickly um, give students answers to questions that have been answered in, um, like in a a frequently asked questions form. You know, so something like that, if the information is already out there, using artificial intelligence to kind of quickly cross-reference that data and provide it um, pretty much instantly in a, in a way that feels human, I think you'll see a lot of tools kind of um, develop in that space that are gonna be much more available.
3: I will share, Dan, I was chatting with a friend and colleague at MSU who has a high schooler um, and she shared that the, the flexibility and the um, shift to a different set of skills regarding time management and self-motivation and things like that, that her high schooler is having to um, adjust into, have actually proven as um, fuel to help her teenager get really excited about um, college, some version of post-secondary education. So her day starts at 11 a.m. And she does her homework on her own time and her classwork on her own time. Her feedback has been like that. She's really, really, really excited about going to some version of post-secondary education now, which is kind of a cool and I think maybe unintended um, outcome of uh, of high schools, at least making that shift.
2: And, and that's the thing in life, right? When you have an obstacle, you know, how you tackle it and how you overcome it, you can turn it into something And I always have to look at it like, oh, we're, we're stuck in this situation with COVID. You know, woe is us. You know, we do have access to tools. We do have access to technology, which is allowing us to to move, move forward and, and do the best that we can in the environment that we're dealt with.
1: Yeah, so, another thing that I think is an advantage about the current landscape is that um, I mean, I, I think it really changes what the classroom is, and and the, just the ability to bring in experts on a particular topic, or or to have guest speakers, you know, to co-teach certain things, like just having that that fluidity to um, to bring in people as needed, to change locations as needed. You know, I think uh, are some real. Opportunities for people to explore and um, and think differently about how teaching happens now.
2: No, I I totally agree. It's technology just really fascinates me sometimes on the accessibility that you can have when you can have a conference call in the morning and have you know four people on the call from four different continents and you know they're all sharing information or all working on the same project and really allows you to get those various points of view and, and just incredible research and information that's available out there on the web. With the hub itself, are you guys involved in any of the other incubators and things going on at the hub, or are you focusing mostly just on the iTeach platform at this time?
1: Most of us um, work on a variety of projects. So, um, so I also work on a project where we're just trying to get a pulse of um, the campus needs in regards to technology and um, also rethink how we adopt technology in a way that allows for experimentation but also allows for standardization. I also work on some of our Hub Fellows projects where we um, provide resources and support for faculty members to um, experiment and try different educational approaches and also our Catalyst Innovation Program as well. So um, those are some of the projects that I'm working on, which are basically focused on innovation and and giving uh, faculty members the space to try new things.
3: Yeah, an interesting thing about the hub um, and Michigan State University is that MSU is quite a a decentralized campus. Many colleges and departments kind of have their own programs and resources, but the hub is a centralized resource. So our unit serves all of Michigan State University and helps partners design and deliver transformative learning experiences from a variety of things, whether it's curriculum redesign to integrating technology to thinking about ongoing professional development. It's a big scope.
2: So I, I think as we go into this new uh, arena of online education, I think it's going to be even more competitive for, to get students, right? Um, and I know universities compete against other universities and sports and other activities. Do you guys ever look at other universities and what platforms they're using for online education and try to kind of take best practices? And, or do you ever collaborate with other schools to see what they're doing in that space?
1: Probably not as much as we could, but I think um, in just talking to colleagues and, you know, going to conferences or what have you, you you learn about what other people are doing. So I would say not in, not in a you know, formal way that I know of, the academic community, you know, people talk and they share best practices. Yeah, I
3: think probably there's also some engagement in the Big Ten Conference conversations around yeah what's yeah. happening, what's working, what's not working. I, I think this is a unique moment in time as we're seeing with bigger initiatives like a COVID vaccine, there are private partners who, are, who would normally be competitors who are coming together to try to find a solution. And I, I would venture to um, pause that similar things are happening in the high red context where we're, we're trying to make sure that we're all doing our very best to provide um, high impact and quality learning experiences for students.
2: Right. One of the articles I read in this space is because of this education model is going to be changing, you know, rapidly over the next five to 10 years that there may be a lot of kind of the second and third tier colleges and universities, the smaller schools that might not be able to survive because bigger institutions like Michigan state with the resources that they have can bring on more students. If they're going to be online, they don't have to necessarily have them, in the lecture hall or in the classroom, you know, once again, as we get to a more normal pace, they can do more of that hybrid model we talked about. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next five to 10 years as the educational industry, you know, really makes this major shift.
3: Yeah, I think there are interesting models that, and of course, this is my own personal, (laughs) my own personal opinion, not affiliated with the university's (laughs) position at all. But um, there are interesting models happening in that have been happening in other places like um, the University of California system, where there's um, a variety of schools across the state that are a part of one common system. Um, And that could be an interesting uh, option for universities in the state of Michigan moving forward, if maintaining their own independent um, budget and curriculum isn't sustainable or viable, um, that would be a, an interesting thing that I, I'll be looking forward to see how that evolves over, like you said, the next five to 10 to 10 years.
2: Right, right. And, and I think on our end, as a software developer, that there's more and more people getting into the space, so as the innovators come into play and bring more new services and new features and new content, you know it's this going to be a much broader menu available for universities and educational institutions, so I think that'll be a another win situation too.
1: yeah, it's very interesting to see how things are going to shape up and what what things will even look like a year from now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone's curious to see what 2021 is going to look like.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, could you imagine we would be here?
2: Yeah, like, exactly. A year ago, yeah. <laughs> well, guys, we really appreciate you uh, joining us today. We will definitely be in touch and talk to you in the future.
1: Thank you.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Dan.
0: Thanks for coming on, guys.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Adventure It podcast. We appreciate our audience and clients for their continued support. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends and family. For more information on our services and upcoming episodes, please visit us at VentureIt.com as well as our other social media channels. Talk to you soon.